Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 659 with Fotini Iconomopolis. Fotini is sharing her pro tips on how you could get more by saying less in negotiations and how we're negotiating more often than you might think. So you'll learn one, the four magic words of negotiation, two, the surprising power of the pause in a negotiation, and three, the script to use when you hear no. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP659. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some cool stuff such as our Gold Nugget summary emails, which provide the wisdom from Fotini in an email you can read in about two or three minutes right to your inbox each day the episode goes live, as well as access to the vault of all the historical Gold Nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Handy summaries, we call them the gold nuggets. Here's Fotini's story. Fotini is a speaker, trainer, advisor, and author. She helps people get what they want by channeling her energy into her passion for the power of forward thinking. Today, business executives partner with her to achieve their business goals, increase profitability, and create a competitive advantage. She empowers their teams through her expertise in negotiation, communication, and persuasion. To share her strengths with more business leaders, Fotini occasionally returns to the classroom as an instructor of MBA negotiations at the Schulich School of Business at York University in Toronto. For the last five years, she's been invited to share her messages with audiences from all the industries and keynote addresses across the globe. Fotini's first book is from HarperCollins. It's called Say Less, Get More, Unconventional Negotiation Techniques to Get What You Want. Big thanks to Fotini for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Fotini. Fotini, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Oh, me too. And I'm excited to hear a little bit about your time on Canadian Idol. <laughs> you had to start there, huh? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that came up because I was, I was dating somebody who has kind of dared me to do it. His family was really big on karaoke at Thanksgiving and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, you have to do this. I'm like, Oh, what for? It's just going to be ridiculous. And I said, if you wake up at four in the morning to drive down, because I didn't live in Toronto at the time, to drive down to Toronto, then I will happily go and do it. And I, I didn't think it would ever happen because he woke up at two in the afternoon usually. So we were students. And when he did it, I was like, damn, I guess I have to follow through with it. So it was a very interesting day. We went from 9,000 people wrapped around what was at the time called the Sky Dome, where the Blue Jays play their home games. And the second day, we were 900 people. 
And I can tell you that all of those folks who you see on television, you go, no, they don't really think they're good. They're doing this just to get on television. I can assure you they really think they're great. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of people in that 900 who were chosen because uh, they made good television. And there was a lot of really talented people who never made the finals. So ever since then, I just can't watch reality television. <laughs> because you just sort of feel the cringe and emotional connection to those who are being embarrassed? <laughs> or, or is that the, yeah. the driver there? <laughs> it's like you, you can see how they're curating it for television. And I'm like, oh, that's not reflective of like, you know, the people who won were fine. But the people I met in the lineups and who I made friends with there, they were amazing. And I was like, how are you not making it through? And it, they didn't have that ugly duckling kind of story that the, the television oh, gotcha. producers were looking for. So I was just, ever since then, I think reality TV is ruined for me. Yeah. So yeah, that is disillusioning. So you're not actually seeing the greatest singers there are. No. You're seeing good singers who have a compelling story. Yeah. I think the Kelly Clarkson's like the, and cause American Idol happened way before Canadian Idol did. I think that was likely compelling, uh, a very talented person without needing to scrub the story. But what we saw in Canada was really reflective of what our talent pool is like. Okay. Well, thank you for peeling back the curtain <laughs> there. I auditioned for the the real world once, but it was not much of an audition. I just waited in line for a really long time, <laughs> sat in a room and then introduced myself. And that was it. It didn't come to pass. Probably for the best, I think. <laughs> I was actually on the real world once, kind of accidentally. I oh, was, no kidding. Yeah, I was in Cancun on vacation and we met, we met a bunch of people out and about. And they were like, come back to the hotel with us. Like, what are you crazy? I'm not coming back to a hotel with a bunch of strangers. I said, look around you. We have a zillion and one camera people. Nothing can happen to you. And I was like, that's kind of fair. But it was actually quite boring because I was like, I'm not going to do anything stupid that's going to appear on television. I'm out. See ya. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it sounds like you you said less and you got more. Absolutely. In terms of your life results. The four segues, my my favorite part of the show, I think. And so that's the name of your book. Say less, get more unconventional negotiation techniques to get what you want. And that's pretty cool. And, and I think negotiation is one of those topics which sounds just kind of sexy and fun. And we, we had Chris Voss, um, an FBI hostage negotiator on the show some time ago. And so I think some of those skills just can make you feel like a cool Jedi with powers if you <laughs> if you know these negotiation moves. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear the practical considerations for, for your your everyday professional who maybe doesn't make deals on a regular basis. They're not in sales or uh, an agent. What is the case for why most professionals could benefit from sharpening their negotiation skills? I think most people don't realize that they are in fact negotiating a lot of the time because what we hear on TV and pop culture, it's all about, people ask me all the time, oh, your life must be like the show Suits, right? And then like, (laughs) actually it's quite boring. If it gets to that point, it means they're in deep trouble. They should have called me a long time before that. So it's not about the slickest salesperson who does the negotiating. We're actually negotiating constantly. Every conversation you are having where you're trying to get somebody on board with your idea. So in essence, leadership is a negotiation. Every time you are dealing with a toddler who's having a temper tantrum, you are in fact having a negotiation. Yeah. I need some help with that. (laughs) You know, it happens with our peers. It's not always about money exchanging hands. It's often qualitative things that we're talking about as well. So I think people don't recognize that they are in fact negotiating more, more than they think they are, but there's also opportunities to improve your life and reduce your stress if you can spot them. Well, yeah. Tell us about spotting those opportunities. Like what might be an opportunity that just passes us by and didn't even occur to us like, oh, well, maybe I should 
speak up and or speak less. I don't know. And, and negotiate that. <laughs> well, I would say pre-COVID, one of the biggest questions I was often getting was how to negotiate more flexibility because people are so stressed out and burnt out at work. So time is our most important component of negotiation, it seems these days. And so when it comes to that time factor, it's how do I get some of my time back? How do I create some boundaries? If my colleague or manager at work is constantly asking me for additional things, can you do this extra thing for me? Can you work late on this? How do I spot the opportunity to go, you know what? I can say no. And I can Mm -hmm. actually get both of us quite happy about it because I can do it in a way that's going to be cooperative and come up with an alternative solution for us. So those are the most obvious ones to me that are most often overlooked for most people. And especially those folks who find themselves constantly burnt out and going, why am I getting all this stuff piled on me? Well, it's because you need to have a, a more appropriate conversation to manage the flow of work and to help people understand how to create that empathy and make sure that they are thinking about some of those things that perhaps you haven't raised and vice versa. Hmm. Well, Fotini, please tell us this magic in which we can say no and the other person will be pleased. Can you maybe give us a demo of how it can unfold in practice? Well, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is what I call the four magic words of negotiation. And it is very simple. It is if you, then I. And by using those four magic words, you are introducing conditional trading. So when someone says, hey, can you help me with this project? You could go, absolutely. If you can help me with this other project, or if you can take something else off my desk, then I'd be happy to help you with your current project. Or if you can give me flex days next week, then I'd be happy to stay late today. But it seems like it's a gift. It's a more collaborative conversation when you finish with the then I piece, that thing that you're going to get out of it. But if you start with the if you, the thing that I need to get out of this, this is where I tell people you can be a little bit selfish because you want to take something first and then you want to finish with the give. And it sounds like a gift. But if you do the reverse of it, if you go, yeah, I'll do that, but only if you do this thing Mm -hmm. for me. Now it feels like a punishment, even though it's the same proposal. So those those four magic words are going to be really important in terms of helping people move forward and create some trades, whether it's trades for time or trades for effort or, you know, reduce stress levels and so on. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that comes up frequently is this comes straight out of the persuasion textbooks. We got Bob Shaldini coming up on the show. Woohoo! Oh, he's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. And I cite him in my book and I talk about so many of his lectures all the time. And I guess this is a bit of a spoiler in case he does come on. But one of the things that comes up frequently when I'm speaking to women's groups, especially, is people are wondering, they're like, why am I always getting all of this extra work piled on me? And I ask them, how are you responding when people thank you in that moment? When you've done something nice for someone and they say, thank you, what's your natural response? So many people say the response is no problem. Well, if you've just told me it's no problem, then it's not going to be a problem for me to come back and dip into the well all again, all over again. But if you were to pause for a moment and think about this whole say less, get more concept, take a second to think about it. You have a moment of power where you could say, I'm sure you'd do the same for me. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, one of two things is going to happen. They're going to go, yeah, I would do the same thing for that person. And let me log this into my subconscious brain. And when the opportunity comes up, I will do something for that person. Or they're going to go, oh, no, I wouldn't do that thing for her. I'm definitely not going to go back to this person because I don't want to feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. So you're preventing them from burning you out and continuously dipping into this well. Well, Fotini, I want to talk about that specific phrase, actually, because I've, I've said it before 
And I felt a little weird <laughs> when, when I did. It, it's almost like, I feel like I'm saying, and they know I'm saying, you owe me, Buster. <laughs> and so I don't know if, if, if that's how it comes across. And, and, or maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But are, are there any alternative ways you, you like to express that? Sometimes I said, hey, of course, we're all on the same team, you know, which is a, yeah. a, a little bit, it's not as uh, direct in either way in terms of me making me feeling weird or the reciprocity power I'm trying to, you know, extract from it. But how else could we say that phrase? Yeah, there's definitely other ways to say it. And one of the things that, that you tapped into is it's got to be authentic, no matter what is coming out of your mouth. If I'm sell, if I'm giving you advice or the FBI guy's giving you advice or Mr. Cialdini's giving you advice, whomever is go- it's going to be telling you these things, if it doesn't feel authentic, it's not going to work because you're going to stumble all over your words and it's going to just come out like verbal diarrhea. So it's got to be authentic for you. But the principle is the key. So what you did there is you didn't do the no problem and threw away your power right. or gave them power. You neutralized it. And so Mm -hmm. the issue I have more than anything is the no problem moment. So what you said works perfectly. And other things are, you know, it's people thank me at the end of a session when I'm doing a keynote or a Q and a or something like that. One of the things I like to tell them is I appreciate that. It's not a no problem. Mm. I made the effort to show up Mm -hmm. here today, but I appreciate that. It's neutralizing it as opposed to just throwing it away. And I like that because I think I've even said to my wife a few times, thank you for thanking me. And and that just (laughs) feels a little cheesy, but I appreciate that. Sometimes the specific words make all the difference. And I love that because you are acknowledging that you appreciate the thanks, which some people just don't give. Just as a free tip, thank people. (laughs) And, and, And it's true. So I do. I genuinely appreciate it. Words of affirmation. I like them one of my love languages. So game on. I appreciate that. That's that's good. So boy, we're already getting so much good stuff here. So sometimes though, it's not about saying a particular phrase. The title of the book is Say Less, Get More. What do you mean by say less? So it's twofold. One is you really actually have to stop talking <laughs> because people will think and talk at the same time and talk themselves out of a deal. I see this happening all the time, whether you're a junior account manager or you're a C-suite executive, people will constantly be talking, assuming again that we've absorbed these messages of the one who speaks the fastest and the one who's the quick-witted one is going to get the best deal. That's usually not true. And so I tell introverts, you can rejoice. This is your moment. This is your opportunity to actually pause. And the reason I say say less so much is I talk about our mental pause button and I ask people to channel that mental pause button because when we're faced with stress and negotiation is one of those moments that most people find very stressful, we have this primitive way of handling things where our cave person, our ancestors, we have the same brain as they did. When they were faced with a saber-toothed tiger, all rational thought would leave their brains and that's what allowed them to run like hell, that superhuman strength to run from their threat. Today, we don't have physical threats. We have psychological threats. So whether it's a threat to our ego or a threat to our security and so on, our brains still respond the same way. And that's what has those moments that make you go, oh God, why did I do that? And your palms were sweaty and your heart was beating faster and your breath was more shallow and all of that rational energy left your brain. But instead of having those moments of why did I do that? Instead, you could just pause and give yourself a moment for maybe it's a meditative breath. Maybe it's a positive mantra. Maybe it's a visualization of some kind. Just that chance for your brain to catch up to what it needs to do. And so you will be far more capable. You can actually change your brain 
in that moment by reframing things. There was a really interesting study that was done back in 2013. Harvard did a study where they had participants sing in front of a group, which for most people can create a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. If you put me in a karaoke bar, I'm I'm good to go. (laughs) But uh, they made them sing Journeys Don't Stop Believing. But before they did, they put them in three separate groups. And they told the first group, tell yourself that you are anxious. And they told the second group, describe yourself as excited. And then they told the last group to say nothing at all. And what they found was when there was a computer that measured their volume and pitch, the group that described themselves as excited outperformed the other two groups. And they not only outperformed them when they were singing, they also outperformed them on a math test and a speech test. They were perceived as more persuasive, more confident, and more persistent. So what that tells us is when you can take yourself out of a fear mindset and into an opportunity mindset, you can change your cognitive abilities. You can actually change your brain. So if you're going in for that negotiation or that stressful moment or that toddler who's having a temper tantrum, if you can just press your mental pause button and go, I can handle this, or I'm excited about this. I'm excited for the resolution. I'm excited to show them what I'm made of. I'm excited to finally put all of this preparation to good use. You can actually change your brain in that moment and get better results. So that's one element of saying less. The other element of saying less is actually using fewer words or being more measured in your words, because you don't want to be doing that whole talking yourself out of a deal thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, well, if one, that's a fascinating study. Do you remember who did it or where it was published? Because we totally got a link to it. I know I cited it in the book. It was 2013. It was Harvard. That's what I recall off the top of my head. Thank you. Okay. So then when you are taking that pause, that that breath, that that mantra moment, that reinterpretation, I, I'm excited. I think I'm a little reluctant sometimes to do that because I assume the other person on the other end that I'm talking to expects words to to come from me uh, pretty shortly after they stop saying words. So do you have any go-to like pause phrases, scripts, like moment takers? Like, that's a really interesting point. I'd like to think about that for a moment. Or, or I don't know, like, like, what do you say? Yeah. That's one of them. I mean, you can call it a crutch if you want to. You can call it a tool, whatever you need. One of the biggest thing, though, is you need to own that moment. And Mm -hmm. so you could do it in the form of your body language. If you're face-to-face or you're doing something virtually on a camera, of course, you can have a look of pensive, deep thought on your face, and they'll go, all right, she's contemplating it. I'm going to give her a second to do this. You can frame it and say, I need a moment to think that through, or I need a moment to make sure that I'm providing an option that's going to work for the both of us. And so by owning it, saying, I need a moment versus asking for permission, it's not about saying, can I have a moment? Because I don't think you need to ask somebody for that time. That's right. Yeah. I need a moment (laughs) or I'm going to take a moment to make sure that I I think this through. I want to give you a thoughtful answer to this. And then if you say something to the effect of collaboration, of course, they'll think, oh, wow, she's considering my needs and she's taking the time to think about this. She's not just coming with something off the cuff. Well, now I feel like she's somebody that I can trust. Mm-hmm. So it's it's thinking through, you know, framing it up to go, I am owning this time as opposed to, oh, no, I don't know what to say. So you also want to make sure that your body language is, is consistent with that. You don't want to look like the deer in headlights when you're taking that moment of pause. You want to look like it is intentional and you own it. And they're the ones who are going to be hanging on your every word when you can do that, because there's a very different message that you're sending with one set of body language versus the other. Yeah, I like that. And there's, there's so many ways you convey that and, and just see what works for you. And, and part of me is just thinking, just like a noise, like, hmm, 
Like that kind of means. Yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> and I, yeah. I didn't have to use any syllables at all. <laughs> or stroking your chin or or whatever. There's so many ways that it looks like I, I'm thinking. And that's great. And I've actually appreciated it on, on the receiving end. When, when I say something and someone else just pauses to think for a while, I like it. I, I kind of feel valued. It's like, yeah. okay, you're actually chewing on that as opposed to just feeling the need to fill the space. And and it does make me more curious. Like it's a bit of suspense, like, well, well what's he going to say? <laughs> it sounds like it might be pretty good <laughs> because he's cooking it up for a little while here. So that's fun. That's the beauty of psychology, right? So mm-hmm. that you, you're creating what is hard to obtain. People value things that are hard to obtain. So even if you know the answer in the back of your mind and you can say it quickly, taking your time and showing that little bit of reluctance means that you're in charge of the schedule here. Mm-hmm. And I think that can also speak volumes. Well, let's talk about taking charge. And I, I think on when it comes to negotiations, I, I think sometimes there could be a tension in that you really do, let's just say everyone's coming at it from a good place, that, that good faith, they want to work something out and, and, and it, find a win-win. And so then I wonder, like, sometimes when it comes to, like, disclosing information, on the one hand, you could say, hey, information is knowledge is power. And the more you have an, an advantage in that department relative to the, your other person, you, you have strength and the advantage. And then the other side of it, though, is like, you know, disclosing is sometimes absolutely just necessary. Like, what are we even talking about here? We got to get on the same page to like move forward. So, so there's that there's that tension if this makes any sense in terms of if you have information, and disclosing it would be a, a helpful collaborative thing that you'd like to do. But it's also something that is in and of itself can could shift a, a bit of the the power dynamic. How do you think about these things? Yeah. So there's two things to think about. One is what type of negotiation is it. And so I talk about negotiation as a spectrum. So I came up with a model to help my MBA students and my clients think it through. So there's kind of like a spectrum of light. If you can imagine that there's a more competitive side of the spectrum, that is when you are talking one dimensional. It's really just about price and nothing else. Those are the toughest, coldest. There's no relationship. There's no real trust to speak of. So if you can imagine you're on a a beach in Mexico buying a souvenir or Thailand buying a pair of elephant pants, it's a one and done, Mm -hmm. really quick negotiation. And when you're talking about those types of negotiations, again, say less, get more comes in here because you don't want to give away any information. You don't Mm -hmm. trust this person and anything you do say will likely be used against you. So you're never going to go in there and say, yeah, I'm I'm trying to propose giving you $10 for this item, but really I have $50 in my pocket. Feel free to take advantage of me. That's just not what we do sort of thing. This, this is my daughter's favorite stuffed animal in the world and her, her favorite color. She's absolutely going to love it. Hey, how much? <laughs> yeah. She's going to have a temper tantrum if I don't get it. What are yeah. you going to charge me? <laughs> so those are the scenarios where you're not going to share very much information. And as you move along the spectrum, you build more trust. The consequences to the relationship are greater. It is a more complex and creative negotiation. So it's not just about cash. So if you think of in the middle of the spectrum, I would call like a job offer negotiation would fall in there where, yeah, salary is still going to be likely the most important thing, but there's other things in the mix that we're going to throw in there. And maybe it's bonuses and maybe it's a car, maybe it's flexibility and other things that I can't attach a tangible value to. And if you don't share with them what would be important to you, well, then it's going to be very difficult for them to come up with a solution yeah. that's going to be tasteful to you. It's like, I don't, I don't know what you want. How can I give it to you? 
Exactly. So, and then of course, when you have the closest of collaborative negotiations, those are the ones where there's a merger perhaps happening, or you're talking about the negotiations at home with your spouse or your child or somebody with whom you have the greatest amount of trust, you're going to be a lot more transparent there. So it depends on where you are on the spectrum and the amount that you're going to share with them. But you also still have to pause and say less in those moments to go, what information is going to be helpful to move forward? And what information is going to be harmful that they can use against me? Mm -hmm. So even in that job offer thing, there's a balance. And so with most of my clients, when I'm working through high stakes negotiations with a lot of these corporate folks who hire me, we actually come up with a list of what information are we going to share now to build a little bit of trust? What information are we going to hold back until later to make sure that, well, I need to know that they're going to, I can trust them and that they're not going to take advantage of me. Mm -hmm. And what information is completely off limits altogether, never going to tell them what the secret family recipe is or, or how yeah. we, our raw material costs and that kind of thing. And we're very clear on those things before mm-hmm. we go into any, any type of negotiation. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> the raw material costs, you know, well said. Well, so then let's hear, are there any particularly unique, novel, unconventional approaches or recommendations that you put forward that we should know about while we've got you here? I would say one of the easiest ones is that there's too often this assumption that negotiation has to be this tough and nasty, bang my fists on the table kind of conversation. And that is rarely the type of approach that is going to get you the best results. I'd say the one that gets you the most results is going in and asking questions in a curious mindset. If you can go in there and be curious about somebody instead of defensive or instead of tough and arrogant and so on, that is likely going to get you much further. And I would say when you can make them be curious about you, then they're going to want to find a way to deal with you. And I will tell you from personal experience that when I used to work for a consulting firm and I worked for large corporations before that, And when I left and I quit my job and I went into self-employment, it was actually unintentional. I just quit my job because I knew I needed a change of some kind in my life. And when I quit, I had all of these clients who called me up and said, Fotini, when are you going to come back and work with us? And I'd say, I don't work for that company anymore. So we didn't hire the company. We hired Fotini. We like dealing with you. We want to deal with you. And the reason they were doing that is not because I was giving them these massive discounts and not because I was puffing out my chest and being demanding, like you must do things my way. It was because I was taking the time to get to know them a little bit. I was curious about them and I was, I was understanding a lot more and acknowledging some of the challenges that they were facing. They were learning a little bit, some, a little something about me as well. And they got to know the person behind the negotiation title, if you will. And that made them want to deal with me. So my entire business exists today because I thought of the person and not the Excel spreadsheet. We don't mm-hmm. conduct negotiations on spreadsheets. We are dealing with humans and humans are crazy and psycho <laughs> many times. So we need to think of the psychology more than anything. Humans are crazy and psycho. That might be your pulled quote for the interview. <laughs> I've been known to say human people are psycho in my MBA classes and my students love that one. <laughs> I don't live that down. Well, could you bring this to life for us with a story in terms of, okay, we're putting into play uh, some of these principles and, and we saw a cool outcome. Like, oh, it was more than about just price. There was some emotional elements. Saying less was helpful. Can you tie it together with a bit of a, a finale story? No pressure, Fotini. <laughs> So for example, a couple of years ago, I renovated a house and it was one of the most awful experiences of my life. I don't recommend living through a renovation and living in your house. But uh, there was a lot of negotiation that had to be done in that moment. 
And I was pulling out carpets and I needed to match the exact same hardwood in the rest of the house to the bedrooms that I was removing the carpet from. And it's hard to get a perfect match when you're doing this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and you're trying to avoid having to redo the entire house. So I go into, there's two retailers in the entire Toronto area that had this very specific brand of hardwood floors and this very specific color that I needed to Mm -hmm. match. And when I went to the first one, I said, here are the specs. How much do you think it's going to cost me? And the guy went, "Mm, it'll be about 1500 bucks. I said, okay, thank you very much. I went to the other one and I said, here are the specs. How much do you think it's going to cost me? And he spent some time and he's looking at his calculator. He's punching things in. He said, it'll be $17.25. (laughs) $17.25. I wish. (laughs) So $1,725. And which one sounded more credible? The reality is that unround number and that time that he took to Mm -hmm. make sure that he was, you know, thinking through that analysis, if in fact he was, sounds far more credible to most of us versus that cheaper one that goes, it'll be about 1500 bucks. When he came up with that answer really quickly, I went, huh, that doesn't sound accurate. I bet you I'm going to have some surprise fees and things like that in the mix. Right. So by using things like these are tactics like unround numbers and by using that hesitation, that saying less and taking your time to build up that anticipation, you can change the credibility factor. If I was looking at it just on a spreadsheet, I probably would have made a very different decision. But when I'm looking at it from a holistic, okay, this one sounds more credible than this one. The rounded number sounds like it has more risk attached to it. It's probably going to cost me a lot more. Will it be the same quality that I wanted and so on? We can provoke people and make them think and change their perceptions in a million different ways. So it's all about considering all of the entire holistic picture rather than just that cell on an Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And I also want to add, when you talk about renovations, that remind me of a time that I was getting a, a new garage door put into the garage. And so I don't know what the heck that's supposed to cost, but <laughs> I got a number from in my contractor who was working with a, a garage door person. And I said, well, I mean, I don't know anything about garage doors, but that number is higher than what homeadvisor.com says it should cost. So I'm going to call somebody else. He's like, wait, 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 let me, let me go back. Let me go back. <laughs> so, and so like, this happened like three times. It's like, well, hey, I really appreciate that you've reduced the price and, and it, we're getting closer. But again, that's, that's higher than the home advisor range. So yeah, just to check, I'm going to, you know, check some others. And it's like, well, let me, let me get back. It was, it was, it was comical to me, like in terms of like, I, because I had no idea had I not spent like two minutes pulling up that page on homeadvisor.com, yeah. I'd probably say, okay. You know, but, but because I did, I was able to save a, you know, a few hundred bucks. And I think that's just, just wild how in my experience, I'd love to get your, your hot take on this. It rarely boils down to a genius psychological maneuver or charismatic Jedi mind persuasion trick for me. And more so boils down to, Hey, I've done my research and this is sort of like the alternatives. And I'm just, I'm just going to go do that if you can't work with that. Yeah. That's that. You're demonstrating your credibility by saying just a very few words. You're going, oh, well, when I checked such and such website and they're like, oh, crap, now he knows the jig is up. And now I have to make sure that I, you know, appease this person. And all you said was very few words. You mentioned one website and all of a sudden the whole thing changes. Yeah. I actually have a, a really funny story that 
again, when I moved into house living, I forgot I lived in a condo for many years. And in fact, I, I hate house living and I moved back into a condo last year. But when I moved into this house, I forgot how much I hated shoveling snow. And I live in Toronto where we have a ton of snow and you have to have your sidewalk shoveled within 12 hours of snowfall or you get ticketed by the city. And so I was like, screw this. I'm going to find somebody else to do this for me. And so I'm very good at outsourcing. And I did some research and I asked around and people said to get a driveway the size of yours done for the entire winter, you, you should spend no more than $400 for the next four months. And I was like, great. So I put a post up in a local Facebook group with the specs. So everybody knew how small the driveway was. And that's when things got really interesting. And one gentleman replied and said, this is all over text, right? This is Facebook mm-hmm. Messenger. And he said, I would take care of your property for $800 for the season. And I was pissed. I was so angry. I was like, you think I'm a woman and you're going to be able to take advantage of me and treat me like a statistic and get all aggressive? I don't think so. But I pressed my mental pause button. And instead of saying all of those things, I said, wow, that's a lot more expensive than other quotes. Thanks for reaching out, but that's too much for me. And then he came back mm-hmm. and he said, so how much are you looking at spending? <laughs> and I said, well, I've got students in the neighborhood willing to do it for 200. I'd be willing to pay for someone more reliable, but you're just way too far outside of my price range. And that was true. I had a neighbor kid who yeah. was willing to do it for 200 bucks. And he said, so what do you want to spend? I live at Woodbine and Gerard. The lowest I can do for you is 500. And that was all in one text box. So mm-hmm. he asked me a question. And before I could even see that question, he answered that question, yeah. which means he's now negotiating against himself. Yes. And he gave me his location that if I needed to, I could use to my advantage to go, great, then you could work me into the very beginning or the very end of your route. No problem. Mm-hmm. And then he said, the lowest I can do for you is 500. And it's almost like, cue the dramatic music. It's dun, dun, dun. Because <laughs> I know the highest I would spend is 400. And if the lowest he would go is 500, that means that we can't get to a deal. Mm-hmm. So I said, thanks, but that's still way too much. I'll have to settle for one of the kids. And then I put my phone away because this happened first thing in the morning and I was running a workshop that day with a client and I never look at my phone when I'm with clients. And so what I found was later on that day when I checked my phone, the negotiation wasn't in fact over. Mm -hmm. And many hours later, I saw a message that was waiting for me and it said 400. And then because I hadn't seen that message at 5.18 p.m. that day, there was one more message waiting for me. (laughs) 300. (laughs) and that is the beauty that is the power of saying less and getting more the less i was saying the more i was getting rewarded right and so that's just that little extra hesitation that you can put in there and not having to i didn't have to yell at him or shout the obscenities that were running through my mind Mm -hmm. earlier it was diplomatic it was polite and it was still fruitful it didn't have to be that banging fist on the table stuff in order to get the best possible deal i will tell you however i didn't go with that guy i ended up i just didn't trust him and i ended up negotiating with someone else to get my driveway and my neighbor's driveway done for 240 bucks each for the season yeah so she was pretty psyched to have a professional negotiator living next door well yes congratulations and and, and that is a lovely story in terms of, of of tying those things together nicely that and it all started because you had some idea. Okay, yeah. 400. Like, I, had you not inquired, even like, like, oh, 800. If I had to, you'd probably part with 800 bucks to have the, the snow handled. But you didn't have to. And you, the reason you knew you didn't have to is because you, you got that upfront info. And then you just let some silence uh, bring it on down. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorites just to show you the value of saying less and the power of just taking your time for things, whether it was intentional or not. That is what people need to learn is that you can talk yourself out of a deal or you can say less and you can get a lot more out of it. Well, and do you have any other recommended uh, scripts or phrases or key gems of things you find yourself saying often in a negotiation? Well, well, I have a kind of an automatic reflexive response to the word no or the words I can't. Mm -hmm. And so my automatic response is, how could you? Under what circumstances? If I could wave a magic wand and make everything happen, what would it take in order to make that happen for you? So Mm -hmm. for me, no is not the end of the negotiation. It truly is the start of the negotiation. And I think that's something that I learned when I was negotiating with my dad as a kid, because quite frankly, I grew up with the strictest of Greek dads. And Mm -hmm. that was just the only way to get out of the house. Well, what would it take? Does it mean my sister has to come? Does it mean so-and-so has to be there? Does it mean my big cousin is going to pick me up? You know, any of those things, you know, what other scenarios can we come up with? But by asking really great questions like that and having them in the back of your mind, kind of like as my mental Rolodex of what could we do to make that happen? How close can you get to my proposal? Those are all some of the things that are my response to a no or I can't. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I think the one that sticks out to me most when it comes to negotiation specifically is the the kind of infamous JFK one. Let us not negotiate out of fear. It's about not negotiating out of fear, but let us not fear to negotiate. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if you negotiate out of fear, it's, it's a Harvard study they mentioned to you earlier. You're not going to get great results. But And if you avoid negotiating altogether, you're going to get even less results. So what can we do to psych ourselves up instead of psyching ourselves out? All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? One of my favorites is probably a lot of the stuff that Cialdini talks about. He is definitely one of my favorites. He talks about a study on MBA students and likability and negotiation, where they put them into two separate groups and they told one of the groups, start negotiating right away. And they told the other group to spend a few minutes getting to know each other. And the group that started negotiating right away, 55% of them managed to close a deal. And that's not too shabby. But the group who started negotiating after they got to know each other for a few minutes, 90% of them manage to close deals. Mm -hmm. And I know most people are going, oh, sure, you get to know each other, you like each other, you give them a better deal, and that's how you close it. But that's not true. What ended up happening is not only did they 90% of them close deals, they also closed better deals. They closed deals that were 12% greater in value, which is pretty remarkable when you think about just spending a few minutes before the negotiation even starts getting to know the other person, being curious about them, sharing something in common with them. Those are the things that are going to help you move further ahead versus that being very aggressive and trying to be super demanding. It's likability before the negotiation starts that's going to get you much further ahead than getting straight down to business right away. And in our temptation to do things over email and try to be efficient, we kind of skip over that stuff in the virtual world now. And so Mm -hmm. we have an opportunity to use that study to our advantage and go, what can I do to just warm things up a little bit at the beginning of the email or the beginning of our conversation and so on, just to get to know this person a little bit more? That for me is the sweet spot of being able to maximize negotiations. And so Cialdini is one of my favorites to lean on over and over again. All right. And how about a favorite book? Surprisingly, right now, I'm reading one called Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, and I never expected to enjoy it as much as I did. So that's been a, my most surprising book this year. One of my favorites, though, that I feel like I recommend a lot to my audiences is Presence by Dr. Amy Cuddy, which I think is a phenomenal one and full of loads of great tips to build your confidence and show up and be really credible. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job. I use my mental pause button. 
really that's it. It's taking my time to take that meditative breath and think through what I need to say next. And a uh, favorite habit? My favorite habit is reading. All right. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It is reading. I read audiobooks now to get even more books in when I'm going out for a walk for sure. And is there a particular nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you a lot. It really is the pause button that people seem to resonate with most. And that's where the whole say less, get more mantra came from. So when I talk to my MBA students or my audiences and keynotes or my, uh, even my corporate folks, when I'm seeing people live, I actually give them a little card that has a pause button on it. And so some of my students even tell me, they're like, I have your card on my bathroom mirror and I have it on my night table and I have it on my bulletin board. I'm like, why is it on your night table? They're like, it prevents me from getting into arguments with my spouse. So that one I think is the favorite from everybody in my audiences. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? They can go to my website, FotiniIcon.com, or they can find me on Instagram where I'm sharing loads of stuff all the time at FotiniIcon there. And LinkedIn is also one of my favorite social media sites where I share loads of information. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I do. So I always leave my keynotes and I give my audiences a challenge to put saying less and getting more into practice right away. And there are two very easy ways to do that. The first is ask yourself, what kind of a question can I ask to learn a little bit more about this person and get more out of this conversation? And the other is, is there a moment where I can be quiet and say less and maybe let my body language do the talking to get more out of a situation? All right, Fatine, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. And I wish you all the best and much luck in all the ways you say less and get more. Thank you very much. I hope it comes in handy for you with your kids as well. I really like the way Fotini positioned it in terms of, if you do this, then I do that. And it's so simple as opposed to just saying, oh, I've got to do this and I'm just going to roll over and provide it. I don't want to say no. I don't want to be difficult. It's like, oh, okay, we can make it seem pretty clear in terms of what each of us are bringing to the table without being too aggressive about it. And I thought that was pretty quick and simple and fun. So big thanks to Votini. If you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP659. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.